Hey Eagles fans, this is Mike K from NJ Advanced Media and welcome to the No Huddle Show podcast where we discuss anything and everything Philadelphia Eagles. You can read our content on nj.com slash eagles, bookmark that, and you can subscribe to our exclusive Eagles Insider Tech Service where we'll break news, give you insider observations, and provide in-depth analysis. Through Eagles Extra, you can send questions and comments directly to us and we'll respond to your phone. With me today, as always, is my fellow Eagles beat reporter, Chris Franklin. Today, we're going to discuss the Eagles getting healthier, why there are no more excuses for Carson Wentz and Doug Peterson, and we'll also preview the Week 11 matchup against the Cleveland Browns. Chris, how you doing today? Not too bad. Calm down a little bit after uh, watching what occurred on Sunday, but over, overall, not too bad. It's a little chill in the air. It's, it's crazy, man. How are you doing? Well, it's it's that football weather season, right? Where, I mean, Thanksgiving's really sneaking up on us, and you know, uh, we've got a lot to be thankful for, even in 2020, uh, you know, that we've been able to work together and that, you know, obviously we haven't been hit with COVID probably as bad as a lot of people listening. Uh, so, um, and we cover football for a living, which is always pretty beneficial. So, um, <laughs> you know, it's kind of hard to complain. And if you do complain, nobody wants to listen, I guess. But, um, you know, I the Eagles don't have a ton to be thankful for other than the fact that they play in the NFC East. And really, that's the only reason why we're able to talk about them in any sort of positive fashion, because in any other year, in any other division, we'd be talking about a top 12 pick. We'd be talking about whether they should be drafting a corner or a defensive end in, with that pick. We would really be in the minutia of draft season because frankly free agency will not be an option for them this year uh if anything free agency is going to become a dumping ground for a lot of veterans who are making a lot of money on this team so uh you know with that said uh with all that positivity let's kind of get into the fact that this team is getting healthier as you hear my mic move maybe a little bit um so Zach Ertz had his 21-day practice window activated on Monday off injured reserve. Uh, he's still on injured reserve, but he is practicing. We saw him Wednesday. We're recording this before Thursday practice. Uh, Isaac Samalo had his 21-day um, practice window activated last week. The Eagles ended up holding him uh, and on IR and started Isaac Samalo at or sorry uh, started Suo Peta. Uh, the similarly named Suo Peta at left guard. Um, and the results kind of varied there. Jason Kelsey probably had his worst game at center in about at least a year. Uh, he had a pretty rough game against the Jets, the one game that the Eagles like super dominated last year, but he, the offensive line didn't play all that well. Um, and then you had Matt Pryor at right guard, who again was not very effective. So, uh, the offensive line is expected to get Isaac Samalu back. Um, Nate Herbig was a late scratch uh, because he had a painful finger injury. We've seen him at practice. We're not sure if he's going to play, but having Samalu at left guard and Herbig at right guard would be advantageous for the Eagles. It would also give the Eagles their week two starting lineup, um, which we haven't seen since. Um, the Eagles have had eight different variations of their off starting offensive line in nine games. That's obviously not very beneficial to the Eagles or Carson Wentz or the play calling or pretty much anything on offense, which then affects the defense. 
Um, what do you think would be the bigger, it doesn't sound like Zach Ertz will return this week, but it sounds like he's on pace to return within the next two weeks. Who do you think would be the bigger return for this lineup? Isaac Samalu or Zach Ertz? Well, I think, uh, even though Zach Ertz is, I I still believe Zach Ertz can still do a lot of stuff for this team, even for years to come, which segues to thinking they should sign a contract because it's just a whole different story. I think right as of right now, say Amalo definitely would be the bigger pickup and the bigger return for that. Reason I say that is when you have a guy like Sua Peta, he, he, even though it was a spot start and it was he had to fill in very quickly. If I'm Jason Kelsey, I'm worried about who's to my left and who's my right. That's one less thing that Kelsey has to do. And the domino effect just goes back goes along the line. I think when you have say Malo, I think he's a very powerful. He can help in the run game. I think he's a better pass blocker than everybody else, uh, than all the other guards they have right now currently on this roster. So I believe, besides Brandon Brooks, who's hurt, still recovered from that Achilles. So I believe right now when you have say Malo, he's going to be able to basically just help out on both sides of the line because I think he can go ahead and you go ahead. I think uh, you don't have to worry about it as much. It, it lets Kelsey focus more on the right side, if it makes more sense. I mean, who do you think is a bigger would be a bigger return. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you. I think the logic's sound there. But for argument's sake, I'd say Zach Ertz just because Zach Ertz commands double teams. And I think even when he's struggling, you have to respect what he's done in the past. And if you don't, you're going to get burnt by him. Um, I think his presence kind of helps you all your other weapons. While he might not put up great numbers anymore, uh, he certainly didn't in the first five games of the season. He does... You know, now that you have the guys back in in Rager and uh, Fulgham's reemerging or emerging, and then you have uh, Goddard back and Richard Rodgers is playing well, adding Ertz to that stew is kind of helpful from a coverage standpoint. Um, Might give Carson a little bit more time, might give him some more throwing lanes because safeties are keying in on Zach Ertz. So I'll go with that. I mean, look, I think the offensive line has played horribly at the guard position. Um, Even Herbig, who's been their best guard, has played inconsistently. Uh, Isaac kind of struggled when he was in there uh, against the Bengals and the Rams those uh, week two and week three. So I wouldn't even say he he, uh, gave you a lot to look at. Both he and Ertz struggled before they got injured. Um, but look, I think the, the, the money with Isaac Samalu is that one, he's going to be here next year. You know that for a fact, whether, you know, Kelsey is still around or not. He's he, Isaac Samalu is either going to be the starting center. Or he's going to be the starting left guard. On top of that, he feel he's probably in on, on top of being the starting left guard. He's probably your best backup option at four other positions outside of left tackle. So I think he helps from a depth standpoint. Look, they have 11 uh, offensive linemen potentially. If Isaac comes back, I think they're going to have to make a decision on either Brett Toth or um, Luke Jariga, who they like very much. Um, so, you know, I, I do think Isaac really helps. I think both of those guys would be huge for this offense, especially as they go into a stretch where they're facing five playoff contenders in five weeks. Um, and they really need to beat the Browns. Um, as we transition, look, Carson Wentz and Doug Peterson are getting a lot of flack. Uh, I know a lot of people want to pile on Jim Schwartz. We're going to talk about him afterwards. But you and I have different opinions on who's running out of excuses. And I think it's healthy for you and I to debate this. 
Um, I know that you have been pretty harsh on Carson. Can you explain why you think the excuses are running out for him? Sure, definitely. You're fit, you're heading into your fifth year, and I know he's had injuries. I know he's had he's missed time away from the field, but a guy with his abilities, a guy with the arm he has, a guy who we were told when he first came in the league and everybody made a big deal about it, his intelligence, he has a photographic memory. He can remember stuff like this. He can read defenses. He can change out of plays and everything else. If that's the case, why is he still making some very poor decisions when it comes to throwing a ball? Now, don't get me wrong. I thought he did a lot better against the Giants. We, he threw the ball away a lot more, and he didn't try to force things as much as he did previously in the past. But when you're looking at what you have around you, when it comes to all injuries, you have a bunch of rookies, you have a bunch of practice squad guys that were called up, you have an offensive line, and you're still making those bad decisions just because you think, hey, I want to still be aggressive. You can't do that, especially as the leader of the team best as a quarterback. You, you just can't put your team in a bad position because it dominoes over to defense. You're putting, you're putting them in bad positions and everything else. You just can't do that overall. He should know better by now, and he still hasn't done it. And – um, it's gotten to the point where I, I, mean, I used to be the most optimistic person. Like, oh, Carson, hey, you can do this. Hey, he'll be around for a while. Oh, don't worry about that. I'm seriously questioning him now. And it's getting kind of – it's worrisome. And I know, Doug, I know Doug's play calling has been put into question, but he's not the one that's on the field throwing the ball. It's just it's just not doing that. I mean, I mean, why do you think it, P- Peterson's the one? I, I'm curious to, to, to hear your reasoning why – why Peterson is the one that's wrong. The Eagles are averaging six point, uh, or Miles Sanders is averaging six yards per carry. Six yards per carry. Uh, Boston Scott, when he's been in there over the last three weeks, has run the ball relatively well. The Eagles are running the ball like 37% of the time, which is in like the bottom three or four of the league. When you have a quarterback that is struggling, he shouldn't be throwing the ball 40 times a game. It's just not, I mean, it just not, it doesn't work. I thought, you know, while the numbers were still skewed, I thought they did a better job of sticking with the run later than they, they typically had. Doug Peterson gave me some, uh, <laughs> some razzing for asking a question and being positive, <laughs> that was um, <laughs> which I didn't really understand, but um, you know, that's him. Look, I think he's been very defensive as of late. Uh <clears throat> And rightfully so, because frankly, some of his decision making has been pretty awful. He's not playing to Carson's strengths. <clears throat> Excuse me. The game plan against the Giants was clearly make Carson a game manager. Well, when you're down by two scores, that goes out the window. It instead it didn't. There was nothing dynamic about the play calling. The entire game was pretty uh <laughs> pretty tame as far as finding ways to be creative. I think there were two creative plays in the entire game uh, that I, I outright said, wow, that's a smart move. Um, you know, look, the wide receiver struggled to get open uh, upon rewatching and, and, and just studying up on the game. But I just like, at what point does Doug Peterson, look, you, you brought up all the billing of Carson Wentz. Well, Following that Super Bowl year, this guy, Doug Peterson, was the ballsiest coach. He was the brashest coach. He was not afraid of anything. He was super creative. Well, I got to tell you, I've covered this team since the Super Bowl run, and I think he's been pretty middling. 
Um, I think he's a great manager of players. I think he's his players love him. They're never going to quit on him. But frankly, I don't think he's played to Carson Wentz's strengths, and that's an issue. Don't get me wrong. I think Carson has been a, a nightmare as a, a decision maker, a nightmare. And so it's hard as a play caller to, to, to design plays for a guy who isn't thinking well on his feet. But I do think Doug Peterson could do things to alleviate a lot of Carson Wentz's pressure. He can use him on the run more. He's not a pocket passer. That's just not his game. He could uh, use a lot more crossing routes, which Carson seems to really like do, throwing tight window throws. He can, you know, use less 12 personnel. Carson, I mean, Doug even said they noticed during the bye week that 11 personnel is their best running formation, which is unique. Um, and, you know, Miles Sanders now getting his footing under him. I think they need to run this this offense through Miles Sanders. I've said it for several weeks until he got injured. Miles Sanders is the most dynamic player on this offense. You can talk about Travis Fulgham all you want, but he was almost shut down by one of the worst starting cornerbacks in the league and Isaac Guidem. So uh, I, I think we need to kind of reevaluate as spectators how we look at Carson Wentz and Doug Peterson. Now, moving on, Jim Schwartz, the whole Jacqueline and Hyde approach – uh, look, he even admitted that Daniel Jones ran for a 34-yard touchdown on the same formation that Daniel Jones ran an 80-yard or picked up 80 yards against them in Week Seven. That is absolutely unacceptable. Uh, I think Jim Schwartz is feeling a little heat right now, and he should be. And if there's a guy who's going to be scapegoated for the season, it's probably going to be him first. I just don't know what the like. Here's the thing that frustrates me is everybody's like, well, get rid of this guy. And then you don't have a backup plan. Oh, don't worry. Anybody new will be, you know, they just need new voices in there. Well, it's just not that simple. People do the same thing with Howie Roseman. Like, which general manager candidate are you really, you got your fingers on the pulse of the general manager, uh, you know, market. Um, So, look, I I think Howie Roseman's going to stick around for another year, whether he deserves to or not. That's a whole other discussion. But I think when you look at the guys on the ground, the boots on the ground guys, Carson Wentz, Zach Ertz, or sorry, Carson Wentz, Jim Schwartz, uh, Doug Peterson, those three guys should be feeling some heat. Carson's probably not going anywhere. In order to to get rid of him, you'd have a $34 million dead cap hit uh, in a trade. And I don't know if anybody's really, you know, hankering to trade for Carson Wentz with the season he's having. So he's probably sticking around. So then you look at, you know, defensive coordinator, Look, it's been five years, and Jim Schwartz has been as up and down as any coordinator in the league during that time. I mean, I think, you know, his numbers look good, but I think the criticism this year is particularly pointed and particularly on point uh, with him. And, you know, Doug Peterson, the thing is, he won a Super Bowl. Like, you know, I'm ready to write the lead. Um, The one man who's led the Eagles to a Super Bowl only lasted five years in Philadelphia. Like, could you imagine that? But it's also Philadelphia. So uh, part of me thinks it would be best for both sides to mutually part ways. Doug can easily get a job. But it just kind of seems like right now Carson and Doug aren't vibing from a on-the-field standpoint. They might have a terrific relationship, and Doug Peterson is constantly defending him uh, to the public. But I just don't know if this is working right now, and I put a lot of that on Doug because he is supposed to be the guy who can relate to a professional quarterback. He's supposed to be the guy who can make creative plays. And I'm not trying to give Carson a pass, but uh, 
Doug's supposed to be the adult in the room and the innovator and the thought guy. And right now this offense seems thoughtless. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. But the thing that really, see, I think when it comes to Schwartz though, and getting back to going back to Schwartz, I don't know if he's going anywhere. I mean, he was the guy that was, I mean, there, there was reported that the Eagles were reaching out to him before they even hired Peterson. And I really do think there's something there. They really value his input because even with that, I mean, who else are you going to get as a defensive coordinator that basically is going to run the whole defense that you, you think Peterson would trust? And I, I just don't with, – with as much as, 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 as much as he has his fingerprints on his defense, it's going to it would take about another two – probably a year and a half, two years, I think, to fully get whatever new defensive coordinator to go ahead and do that. And if – that happened. I don't know if the Eagles will have enough time to go ahead and they give Peterson enough time. And I think they're both gone, and then it looks bad on Howie. Is this a domino effect? Well, so I, don't I know mean, I, so to that gone. point, he's got two defensive coordinators on this staff that sh- probably should get it. I mean, look, Matt Burke has done really well with the defensive line. It would not shock me if Matt Burke was his eventual successor um, because they'd probably want to keep Matt Burke away from going with Jim Schwartz somewhere else. And then I think you look at Marquand Manuel, who's got defensive coordinator experience. He would be a minority hire. Um, he did okay in Atlanta as a defensive coordinator until the wheels kind of came off. But then you saw that Dan Quinn's defensive strategies were kind of, you know, falling to the wayside anyway. Um, the issue for them, I think, and uh, again, sorry to cut you off, is they're not going to want to go back to a 3-4 defense. Like, because like you said, uh, that's going to take a while to kind of, you know, ingrain in this defense with their personnel. But then again, they're going to turn over a lot of guys this offseason, a lot of older players. So, um, and a lot of the guys are scheme versatile or have played in both looks. So I agree with you. I think it's difficult to just say, hey, get rid of some dude. But um, I just think, it, it just, it's I, don't, I don't see it. I, I mean, I, I hear what you're saying. I just don't – when looking back, even when it comes to Burke and Manuel, I mean, even with that – I know he was – Manuel was working under Quinn and that defense was – and that was always the Achilles heel of the Falcons. And even when he had the reins, he didn't even – it wasn't able to turn it around. And then when you look at Burke, I mean, I think the only thing you get differently without – and this is just me spitballing. I mean, I'll, I'll be honest. Like, when it comes to Matt Burke's defensive coordinator, so I haven't been – I'm not that well versed when he calls his play calling. The only thing I think that you would pretty much lose would be the whole sticks defense, the picket fence defense on third downs or third and longs. But if that's the case that he really is a disciple of Jim Schwartz, I'm not really feeling comfortable with him doing a play calling. If that's the case, you're going to get rid of it. You're either going to have to tear it down or you're going to have to live with Schwartz and then try to basically outscore everybody, which I think they have the horses to do on offense. But then you go back to, hey, do you have – Right. It's, it, it's one of those situations where you just look at the whole entire situation, and just go either you put the you, you push the button and nuke everything and just start from scratch or you have to basically compensate for the one. It's, it's going to be one or the other. And to me, it's just like it's going to have to be one or the other. It's going to be and I think the easier fix would probably be somewhere on the offense and just keep the way the defense is right now. And it's for you personally. No, I get it. I, uh, you know, I think it's one of those things where, you know, it's a debate amongst fans and fans get kind of riled up but yeah when you look at the atmosphere or the like the the market it's just not easy to kind of put your finger on what what you can do but transitioning from Schwartz to this Browns game this is a this is a 
a game where I could see a lot of people calling for Schwartz's head if they do not do a specific thing in this game that is so obvious on paper that it's ridiculous. Jim Schwartz called Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt their the Eagles defense's biggest challenge on the ground all season. And he's 100% right. This duo put up 230 rushing yards and a touchdown against the Texans last week. The Browns only won 10 to 7, but they controlled the clock with that running game. If the Eagles can't get the ball back on offense, maybe that's a good thing, uh, you know, given the turnover issues. But I asked Doug Peterson about it. Um, when you have two running backs on the opposite side who can control the clock, you need to take advantage of every opportunity possible on offense because you don't know when you're going to get the ball back um, because that could lead to really long drives. Um, look, this is, this game's going to really fall on the defense, in my opinion. They really have to stop the run. Jim Schwartz has always said that his first goal is to stop the run. Um, while the Eagles are giving up a lot of rushing yards. Their rushing yards on paper are kind of misleading. Uh, They're giving up a lot of yards to wide receivers and quarterbacks, but actually with running backs, they're holding them to uh, a pretty respectable 3.4 yards per carry. If they can hold this running back duo under four yards per carry, I think they're going to be in really good position to win this game. I think it's just what it comes down to. The weather forecast isn't very pretty. Uh, it's going to be that football weather, ground and pound sort of thing. And, you know, the onus is on Jim Schwartz this week, I, I think. Because I think this is a game where you're going to win dirty or you're going to win uh, very close. Um, I have it as a very low-scoring game. What says you? I think it's going to I agree with it. I think it's going to be one of those – it's going to be one of those – early 90s mid 90s games where you start to see basically it's just both teams running the ball and then I think I think you'll see both teams running the ball especially the Browns and everything is predicated off of their run and if the Eagles are able to go ahead this is going to be the game I think where you look at that defensive line again you, you pay them all this money you're going to have to go ahead and look to see hey you know what especially those tackles they're going to have to go ahead and step up and try to go ahead and control those two I think uh, when it comes to Chubb and Hunt and if they're, I think if they they're able to stop the they will they'll if they're able to stop the run they'll I think they'll do fine but that's the problem I don't foresee that I I, you know, I know they're stopping the running backs that way too but I'm worried about Mayfield on the bootlegs I think and also not just that just on first and second down like they can't keep putting themselves in second and fives second and fours because the running back or the running game is going ahead and get get six seven yards off on the first down when it comes to that. I'm a little worried. I'm a little worried about May- Mayfield uh, booting out in the backfield, and then you have a situation where you have him and Duke Riley looking staring down eye to eye, and I'm taking Mayfield nine times out of ten on that thing. So, and then at, once you to make matters worse, if they go ahead and get the run, they can go ahead and just go run play action off of it and throw it over top to Jarvis Landry. So it's it, it, it's one of those things where I'm looking right now. Like you mentioned the weather forecast; it's going to be more. It's going to be. Uh, typical Cleveland seems like Cleveland winter day. It's gonna be dreary. It's gonna be possibly rain. It's gonna be windy. I'm looking at the way they're gonna. I think they're gonna get control of the running game, and I think the Browns are gonna win this game. It's gonna be close, but I think the Browns are gonna win this game. Is I think I had like 23 17 or something like that, but or 23 20 something like that. But I think the Browns are just gonna are gonna eke it out and and just siphon the life force. It seems like out of it was continuing to run the ball. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I, I think they have the perfect. You know, Kevin Stefanski and Andrew Barry have constructed a roster that's perfect for that Cleveland weather. They have three really good tight ends. 
They have these two ground and pound running backs. Uh, their offensive line's fine. Uh, Jack Conklin, their right tackle, is notably on the COVID-19 list because he was a close contact. If he isn't able to play, that's huge news uh, for Brandon Graham, um, who is obviously on pace for a career season sacks-wise. Uh, and look, they're going to need to hit Baker Mayfield. Like This is going to have to be a game where they're constantly in his face. Um, I do think the defensive tackles can get some rush against this interior offensive line. I, I do think they are more equipped to handle this running game with TJ Edwards than they are with Nate Gary. Um, and frankly, look, the, the biggest wide receiver threat, like you said, is Jarvis Landry. He's going to play in the slot. I think you feel a little bit better with either uh, Jalen Mills or, or Rodney McLeod covering him. It's more of a challenge with the linebackers, potentially on the tight ends. Um, I don't think they're going to be challenged very much on the outside. This could be a situation where you see Avante Maddox and Michael Jaquette on the outside, or you see Avante Maddox in the slot um, because Jarvis Landry is such a threat inside. So um, it'll be interesting to see how Jim Schwartz aligns the secondary there. Uh, Darius Slay is actually tackled relatively well uh, based on reputation. Um, and then, you know, we flip over to the offense Look, Miles Garrett's a problem. He is. Um, and I'm looking forward to that matchup. Miles Garrett versus Lane Johnson. They'll move Miles Garrett over to the other side and then rush Jason Peters. Uh, Sheldon Richardson's a problem. Um, but I think he's probably a better fit for Kelsey Strength than, you know, somebody like um, Dexter Lawrence, um, who he struggled against mightily. I, I think offensively they can get a, get some stuff done. Denzel Ward's a very good corner, but I also think Fulgham can kind of bully him from a size standpoint. Isaac Guidem uh, was a guy who's a little bit bigger and that kind of helped uh, take care of Fulgham in that regard. They, they don't really have um, a very talented secondary. You've got Andrew Zendejo playing free safety, which kind of helps you from a Dallas Goddard uh, Miles Sanders standpoint, I'd be trying to match up Miles Sanders on Zendejo pretty significantly. Um, and look, I think if you run the ball well in this game, you've got a shot. Um, I think the Browns, you know, at six and three aren't a daunting challenge. I don't think this is a very, uh, deep Browns team, but I do think having that home field advantage, having that weather plays exactly into their strengths. And listen, Carson Wentz is going to have to be really smart with the ball. He's going to have to run with the ball. Um, and they're going to have to take some shots in this game. They can't, frankly, I mean, the weather's going to be rough, but you, you've got to be able to set up plays where you can either uh, dump off stuff to Jalen Rager or you can throw down the field to him. Because, frankly, I think part of Doug Peterson's failings is they have not been able to use Jalen Rager to his strengths. A lot of it has been, um, you know, at the line of scrimmage. And, yeah, he can get yak after the, you know, after the catch. He's harder to bring down than most smaller wide receivers, but – He's a guy who can also burn it down the field, and we haven't be, been able to see that. One, because Carson Wentz has been inconsistent with his with his decision-making down the field, but also because the offensive line hasn't given a lot of time. So um, it'll be interesting to see how they do that. The Browns have been susceptible to the screen game. I do think that that's going to be a large extension of uh, the Eagles' attack, which is something that they want to do. They just haven't been able to do. And if they're able to get that screen game going – that could be huge, especially with Boston Scott. We know how proficient he's been in the past when 
it's come to the screen game and he's had some of those alleys to run through. I think Jalen Rager on screens makes a lot of sense. What do you see the biggest challenge for this offense being against the, the Browns defense? I think the biggest challenge is going to be pointing out where Miles Garrett is. I think that's the main thing and how they're going to set their protections up that way. I think when you have a guy, I think it, it, you mentioned Lane Johnson. I think that's going to be, a, like you mentioned, that's going to be a good matchup. I'm worried about when he goes against Jason Peters. I think Peters has been playing a lot better as of late, but I'm worried about the speed and the power that Garrett brings around there. I'm wondering, do the Eagles start to go ahead and maybe leave a tight end or do more right. chipping when for going that way too, which I have no problem with, especially if Sanders goes out there. Like, And you mentioned that Sendejo thing. I'm, if I'm the Eagles offense, if and I'm courts Carson Wentz, I'm looking at every single time he's matched up one on one or not in the zone. I'm taking a shot at him no matter what, Absolutely. struggling or not. I'm taking a shot at Zendaya because his cover. We, I mean, we've seen it when he was with the Eagles. His uh, he's a good box safety, but when he goes out into coverage, he's a he's a liability. I mean, I mean that is just bad. And I think when it comes to overall, I think the, the other the other challenge is going to be basically playing with themselves and being patient. It's right. going to be tough. I know they're going to want to go ahead and try to. Sh- uh, basically, when it, when you have Cleveland's offense trying to basically take away, taking the, possessing the ball for that long, if if they do run a ball, they're they're going to want to go ahead and try to take shots down the field quickly. You just can't do that. You, you're going to have to play and slug this out, and it's going to be I think a patience. I think Wentz is going to have to be patient enough to go ahead and continue to move the ball down the field. So I think that's going is going to be an issue. I have no problem with uh, I, I think the the Eagles receivers could have a big game, but the main thing is going to be trying to use the receivers in different, in different, uh, give them different, given Browns different looks you haven't shown on tape this year. I mean, it's pretty much pretty thing. Jalen Rager, most of his targets go down the field in the middle of the field between the numbers. I think it was like of his 12 catches, six of them were in the middle, in between the numbers this year. So, you know, teams are going to start seeing that. Why not go ahead and start running over the outside a little bit more? Uh, th- th- running him routes out on the outside a little bit more, and I think Fogum needs to get more involved a little bit as well too. I, I have no problem with the ro- way they're rotating him right now, but I, I want to see Wentz start to spread the ball a little bit more, make a concerted effort to spread the ball a little bit more to- towards all those receivers. So I, I think that's the the biggest challenge is going to be Garrett, but th- there are there are holes in this Cleveland Browns defense. Yeah, and what I'll say is this, and you know how critical I've been of Alshon Jeffrey and his role. This is the game. Okay, that he can be an X factor. The slot screens in the red zone, breaking tackles in this weather, that's the way to do it. That's how he can be effective. That's how he can kind of make his money after he leaves next year. I think, you know, he's a guy that you should really pay attention to because, you know, yes, he's lost some weight, but he's still that big dude that can, you know, run over defenders. And I think. In the red zone, he can be a big deal. I think last week was about just getting him used to the speed of the game. He got open a couple of times. We'll see him more uh, effective in this game, I think, um, especially if they use him in the slot and he can get uh, matched up on a nickel corner or a safety or even a linebacker, really. I think he's a mismatch. So uh, Alshon's going to be a guy that I'm really – kind of looking forward to seeing how they use him for once uh, in this game. And I'll be happy to eat crow if he comes out and scores two touchdowns in this game. Or, or even the fade route. I mean, the jump balls. I mean, if you involve him, I mean, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be opposed to say they're at a goal line. And it's like first and first and goal from like the five yard line. Have he, he and Fogum just run fade routes in the back of the end zone. And just let, let them both use their athleticism for a jump ball. I, yeah, I'm, I think that's like that. would be great. 
I think that's a great idea. I mean, I think you look, if you're going to use them, use them. Right. So, um, you, you kind of hinted at your prediction earlier on the show. What, what, what prediction or what's the score that you had? I think I had uh, 23 to 17. I think the Browns win this game. It's just, I, it's really, it's going to be close. It's going to be tantalizingly close. I think at times it's going to be, I think we're going to be talking about this as one of the, uh, one of the losses, another loss that the Eagles sh- should have won. I, I really do. What, what, what say you? Um, well, you know, I agree with you. I think if the Eagles score less than 20 points, they lose this game. Um, I've got this game as a 20 to 16 uh, kind of, you know, heavyweight fight. They're going to throw some blows. You're going to see the Eagles will get up in this game and they're, they'll go for two. They've fallen in love with the two-point conversion. And frankly, <laughs> in this weather, I don't blame them with the way Jake Elliott has struggled. Uh, I think, you know, this is one of those ones where Carson gets some confidence back. I just don't see how you can stop. Like, if they can't stop this running game, the game's over. You can't let the Browns get ahead of you. Um, so unless the Eagles come out swinging, uh, it's going to be very difficult for them to win this game. So I'm going to say 20 to 16 there's gonna be more chaos in philly a lot of people are gonna be upset with jim schwartz uh i think a lot of people are gonna be upset with doug peterson and you know they'll still be a half game up on the division uh because the giants are on a bye um and obviously the cowboys and the redskins still uh are are trying to get that third win um so yeah i I mean it's just look in the grand scheme of things, this isn't a must-win game uh, on paper and like from a statistical standpoint because it is an AFC matchup. It is, uh, you know, a road matchup, and the Eagles still have like a one and a half game lead. But you know, they're about to enter this gauntlet of four consecutive NFC contenders. You know, they they play they play the Seahawks, they play the Packers, they play the Saints, and then they play the the Cardinals. And they really need a confidence boost because they need to win at least two of those games, uh, even if they beat the Browns to kind of feel comfortable with their lead in the division, you know, because they close out with two NFC East matchups, and that gives them a little bit of wiggle room. Um, And I just, look, it's been 11 weeks, and the Eagles have not won a day game. Now's the time. This is probably their best matchup of the next five weeks. And if they can pull this off, I'm happy to eat crow. I'm happy to say, look, Chris and I were wrong. Mostly Chris, though. Uh, oh, thanks. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but look, I think this is a winnable game. And I think the Eagles can do some some big stuff here. Yeah, so it's, it's just really tough. I think when you look at this, it's, I think it's going to be headed toward the holiday it's going to be a it's going to be a really tough stretch i mean it, it there's just too many holes on this team right now that you don't feel confident the only the only the only thing i think i probably would change right now is the only thing i think is winnable right now are the browns games winnable but i don't know how this team's gonna do it this week and the saints with drew Brees' injuries with rib injuries and that that could be all rectified by the time the eagles play them by then you never know the, with i know Pate, sean payton's being cagey about his status but you don't know it's this might be we might be having a uh, hopefully not but we might be having a couple of rough podcasts coming up i think with the schedule coming it'll be par for the course but um (laughs) 
Just remember, you guys can uh, sign up for Eagles Extra on nj.com slash text. You can download the No Huddle Show podcast wherever podcasts are available for Chris. I'm Mike. We've got to get to practice. We'll talk to you after the game on Sunday. Thanks, guys, for tuning in.